So uh, we've been studying Exodus for a few weeks now, and uh, we'll be in Exodus 4 this morning. And um, it's been a kind of unique journey. Um, and as we go through this study of Exodus, we're going to kind of follow the Israelites as they go, but we're also going <clears> to <throat> see it in the light of our journey, our spiritual journey, and uh, what Christ has done for us, and in kind of in that light. And uh, so we're going to be in the second book of the Pentateuch. Um, and as we remember uh, before, Exodus means going out or departure. I think we've got a slide for that. Um, and it's taken from the Septuagint and the Greek noun exodos. Um, so that's what Exodus means. And, you know, Exodus as a book is a truly a masterpiece of, of a book. Um, and it provides a historic account of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, from uh, cruel slavery into freedom and into a promised land. And so as we go through this book and as we go through even today, uh, keep going back to that and remember that we're talking about coming out of slavery into freedom. Um, and it's important for us to use that, not just as a, a history or a fancy story, but um, a story that has an internal um, and eternal um, uh, importance and extremely relevant to our lives today. Because everything that the Israelites did and came through, a lot of us go through in our lives, either spiritually or um, in our lives. And so we can go, kind of look back to that. We go back uh, a little bit. Um, Marcus kind of reminded us in his introduction that this was a period of Exodus happened in Egypt when Egypt was a serious superpower. So the, the pharaoh of Egypt um, was a mighty pharaoh and they had built great pyramids. And I think the pyramids had been there for maybe, uh, I think it's close to a thousand years when, um, you know, Moses was born and that they were about to leave there. So <clears throat> Egypt had been a power for a long time, not just uh, when they were there, but it had been for um, centuries before that. And the people of Egypt worshipped um, dark powers. They worshipped these gods of Isis, um, Horus, Amon, and Ra. We, Marcus kind of talked about it a little bit. And, and the priest class was very powerful at the time. And um, they were in touch with these dark powers. And so this is kind of the, the setting that the people of Israel are in. They, they are in there in, in this uh, incredible um, a kingdom of Egypt with a lot of technology going on here. And, and then this dark powers that are coming against them. And we'll see that even, even uh, today um, when we talk about it. So why, why do we study Exodus? And I want to step back for a second and give you four reasons. <clears throat> so the first reason that we study Exodus is we need to know God better. And if we go through the book of Exodus, we're going to meet God. And we're going to meet God because Moses meets God and the people of Israel meet God and they see who God is. Um, and we see in Exodus that God um, wills to be known and to be glorified. So when we look through Exodus, we're going to see that God wants to be known and to be glorified. And that's no different from today. He wants us as a church to know him and to glorify him too. So you see in Exodus 34, 6, um, we see a God who is merciful, gracious, and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when we study Exodus, we want to know God because he wants to be known. And we can know God through this story and through what uh, the people are going through here. So first, we need to, we need to uh, know God. And as uh, Rob taught last week, um, 
we talked about the burning bush. We talked about Moses seeing God and hearing God coming out of this burning bush last week. Um, and what was, uh, what was Moses' reaction when he first met God? Do you remember what happened last week when Moses met God? Remember the whole, the whole thing where Moses came there and God said, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground, right? So here's Moses meeting God, seeing a, a burning bush, and he takes his shoes off. So it's, when he meets God, it's one of reverence, right? <clears throat> and so he takes his shoes off and he bows down and he worships, right? So I think we can, we can see the same thing in our lives. When we meet God, we need to have that same reverence that Moses had, right? We, we are in his presence. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have to have this reverence that even Moses had here where he bowed down and he knew that it was holy ground. And, and so I think as we, as God wants us to know him and he wants us to know his will and wants, us to be, and wants him to be glorified, we, we need to act in the same way Moses acted. So the second... Um, thing that we see and why we study Exodus is we need to understand God's redemption better. So Marcus has talked about this, Andrew's talked about this, and Rob talked about this, but I want to key in on this too because Exodus is about redemption and it's about God's redemption and we're going to see it as even today when we talk about it, it's about God's redemption, but uh, it's a picture of the gospel. So Exodus is this picture that uh, um, we have, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, we need to understand how Jesus and Exodus come together. So we need to know how Moses was the archetype of Jesus Christ. Um, and as we look at the Old Testament, not just in Exodus, we look even back to King David. He was another archetype of, of, uh, of the Messiah and of a Savior. And so it's interesting because we talked about this, I think, a little bit. But uh, they were all shepherds and they were all great leaders and they all had redemptive qualities and Christ had the final redemptive quality, right? So question, and I thought about this a little bit, but uh, why, why do you think that God used these shepherds? Because Moses was a shepherd. Remember we talked about <clears throat> his preparation. He was in the wilderness for 40 years um, in Midian and he was a shepherd there. Um, king David was a shepherd in his process of becoming a king. Um, God used him as a shepherd. And then, uh, of course, Jesus Christ uh, claims to be the great shepherd, right? Why, why? Why do you think God used shepherds so much? What qualities do they have? Like a guide. <clears throat> they, lead, uh, they lead their herd to wherever they're going. That's right. Like that. That's right. So they could be like a guide. Think about other qualities of a shepherd, too. They're a guide, a leader, which is key in Moses' life and David's. Watchful. Watchful. They're watching. They protect. That's right. So Christ protects, right? He, he said he's the great shepherd. Um, he talks about stories of, you know, leaving the 99 to go find the one, to go find, seek after the lost, right? The lost sheep um, to protect those who are vulnerable, right? Because sheep are very vulnerable. Um, so I think God uses shepherds so much in the scripture because they have the qualities that he needs in a leader, right? A servant leader, someone who is going to protect the sheep, lead the sheep, guide the sheep, do the things that um, uh, they need to do. And as we go through Exodus, we're also going to see Moses in the qualities he has as a leader for the, for the Israelites as they go through, um, as we go through Exodus and keep going. 
So just kind of interesting, but there's a lot of skills and virtues that shepherds have um, and the great shepherd Jesus Christ has um, to help lead. So Jesus Christ, um, we talk about him being the greater Moses, right? If you look at the book of Hebrews, you study that, we talk about Jesus Christ being the greater Moses. So it goes back to that redemptive quality that Moses had. And then Christ being the greater David, right? He was the son of David, and yet he was the king of the world. So um, we see that in Psalms in many places where it talks about uh, you know, who David was and that Christ was going to be the greater David. And Christ was going to triumph over death and the resurrection, and he was going to be the greater Exodus, right? <clears throat> so when we study today the story of Exodus, we're seeing the story of redemption. We're seeing a story of the people being in slavery, and then they're going to be redeemed, and they're going to be taken out, and then into the promised land. It's the same thing we'll see spiritually and, and what Jesus Christ does, right, and, and how he saves us. And it, it's kind of interesting. If you look at Luke 9.31, and this goes back to um, when Jesus is um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's up there with Moses, interesting enough, right, and with Elijah. And so <clears throat> when Luke was talking about this transfiguration, the same word that he uses in the Greek there about Christ's death and departure is exodus, the same Greek word. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection has that same connotation of leaving slavery and then coming in to the promised land and into freedom. So it's the same word that... Uh, that Luke uses there. So Jesus would uh, pass through the waters of death in order to deliver his people from bondage to their sin and take them to a new heaven and new earth. So as we study Exodus, we're going to see that this parallels the gospel and it parallels what uh, Christ did for us passing through the waters. Um, Interesting um, that water is used so much and going uh, through um, the Red Sea going through the waters out of Egypt, right? Into, into the desert, into going towards God and his promises and stuff. So Christopher J.H. Wright, he has a book about the mission of God. And he has a quote in there <clears throat> that talking about this idea. For indeed it is Exodus that provides a primary model of God's idea of redemption. Not just in the Old Testament, but even in the New. Where it's used as one of the keys to understanding the meaning of the cross of Christ. So first, we study Exodus because we need to know God better, right? And then second, we study Exodus because it shows us God's redemption and and we can understand his redemption better. And third, we need to understand God's mission. And this is where we come in because it's not just God's mission, it's our mission. Because as a church here, as we stand here as a church, we have a mission. And we need to understand our mission. The mission of the church didn't just start with the Great Commission, although that was the commissioning of the church in the New Testament in Matthew 28. Um, That's not the only place to start. It began in the Old Testament. And we see God's concern for the physical and spiritual needs of his people in the same way that uh, God has concern for the spiritual and physical needs of the Israelites coming through Exodus. The church needs to have the same concern for the spiritual needs and the physical needs of the world around us and because we have the answer right so we need to be concerned about physical slavery and spiritual slavery of people today and so when we see the story of exodus we see this grand narrative we need to also 
be concerned, just like Christ and God and the Holy Spirit had concern um, for the Israelites coming out. And we have the Holy Spirit in us, the, the, and Christ is our bride. And Wright, again, Christopher Wright says it again, Exodus-shaped redemption demands an Exodus-shaped mission. So I think as a church, we need to understand that our mission is the same mission that God had. The same mission that God had when he was rescuing the Israelites out and what he did there. Uh, through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and, and, and us being the church, we have that mission. So we need to understand the mission of God through the story of Exodus. And then finally, we can draw a lot of lessons for living out our faith on a daily basis through Exodus. So I'm going to name a few, but be thinking about these as we study Exodus. But there's a, there's a lot in there. Um, so taking care of the unborn, right? We just talked about that a few weeks ago. How, you know, uh, the, the Egyptian king or the pharaoh said, we're going to destroy the, the young boys, you know, in Israel. And, and how, you know, uh, it was important to take care of the young, young and, and that Moses was hid, right? And, there, and that, that, that whole thing there. <clears throat> racism, racism and murder, right? We have racism between the races of the Egyptians and um, the Hebrews. Murder. We talked about Moses um, being a murderer. Um, how God can use the weak and ordinary people. And that's what we're going to key on today. How God can use weak and ordinary people. And I think that's pretty much everybody in this room, right? I mean, I'm weak and ordinary. There, there's nothing special about any of us in this room. Yet, there was nothing special about Moses. But he was used as a vessel to carry out God's work. Uh, the nature of tr true community. How to rely on God's presence daily. Obeying God's word. The, the issue of idolatry and true worship. Um, those are just to name a few themes and uh, um, ways for living in Exodus. So this is not just a story. God is weaving a whole bunch of different themes in here and different things that we can understand that we can have on a daily basis, right? And we can have faith on a daily basis. This thing keeps moving. Keeps dropping and dropping. You notice that? It's just going like this and I'm just going like this and just going like this. We're going to try to make it stay. All right. So I hope, I hope you're preparing for this. So one thing I, I would like for you guys to do is read Exodus as we're, we're studying this. You know, go read it. Um, so you're prepared to kind of uh, understand. And so as you're preparing uh, to, to study this book of Exodus, think about the different reasons that God has for us in Exodus and why, why we need to study this, um, this book. So real quick, talk about what Rob talked briefly last week in chapter 3, in case you weren't here, kind of catch you up. In chapter 3, the remember the passage in Exodus 3, 13 and 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac, God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generation. So Rob talked about <clears throat> this phrase, I am, which kind of translates into Yahweh. Um, so Yahweh has sent you. 
It says, do you, do you remember the person of God, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob? This is a, a familiar God. This is a God of your forefathers. It's not just a God that you just found out about here um, at the burning bush, you know. This is a God that uh, has been with your people. Um, he's about to deliver you, and you need only to trust and obey. So we talked about that last week. And that's where we're kind of leading into to this week. So we're going <clears> to <throat> start in Exodus 4, and I'm going to read chapters 4, 5, and 6. And uh, read all three chapters this morning, and that, that'll be our lesson. No, um, we can't do that. I wish we could, but that's what Rob gave me, 4, four through 6. And there's no way you can, you can teach four, 4 through 6 this morning. So we're going to concentrate in 4. And specifically in 10 through 17. So if you want to turn your Bibles, turn to 10 through 17. And we titled it Getting Ready for Battle. And, you know, think about that as we talk about this. Getting ready for battle. What, what does that mean um, this morning? And what does it mean in these passages? Um, we won't get to 5 and 6 this morning, but please read them and prepare. Because we'll be going into 7 after that next week. Um, so you know. And I'll briefly talk about what goes in there a little bit later if I have time. So the main idea today, maybe you have the main idea up there, because of who God is, he graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Anyways, that's the main idea. Because of who God is, that's what we're talking about, God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So the power that works in us, the Holy Spirit, so us as the church here, God is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think. So think about that as we're talking about this passage. So Exodus 4, 10 through 17. That's our passage today. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take your staff your hand, in your hand, your, this staff, um, with which you shall do the signs. So we're looking at this verse, this, these verses here, and we notice a few things here right away. What does Moses do right away in the, in the verse here? Makes excuses, Makes excuses right? So uh, we're, we're going to, go ahead, Brian. Doubt the, Doubt the Lord, right? So a lot of times we like to look at these biblical characters and get really hard on them, right? But as we go through this, think about yourselves, right? 
Think about how many times you've made excuses to the Lord, right? When the Lord has asked you to do something, right? But Moses, he, he makes excuses here right away. Um, he says, but I can't do that. I'm not eloquent. Not in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. No, I'm not eloquent and I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm, I can't do this, right? So he's already doubting himself. He's making excuses before the Lord, even though he just met the Lord, right? I mean, how incredible it is to meet the Lord and worship him in that way. And then here he is, uh, you know, making excuses. And um, so what did the Lord do in these passages? So Moses starts to make excuses. What does the Lord do? Got angry, yeah. Righteous anger, which the Lord can do because he's the Lord. How many times do you think he's had righteous anger towards us as children? I think, I, think, uh, I was talking to my wife about this earlier. Just um, when you have children, you start seeing God in a different way. Because as you are parenting your children, you're like, yeah, I do exactly what my, my kids do. And God constantly has to discipline me and constantly has to uh, deal with me and deal with my stupidity and deal with what I'm doing. Because I, I don't know anything, right? I don't know anything yet. And, and so we can, we can be humble um, and, and understand that, you know, this kind of stuff. You know, God probably has a little righteous anger towards us every once in a while, but is abounding in love, right? That's not where he stays. So even, even with Moses here, he, uh, he has a little anger. What else? How's God re- respond? Yeah. Yes, there is someone who is better. That's right. That's right. Aaron, yeah. So he says, here's your brother. Like, okay, you can't speak, but I know your brother can speak. I made him. He's very eloquent, and I'm going to send him with you, right? So the Lord doesn't just take our excuses and say, okay, you're right. I can't use you. I'm going to forget about you, and you're going to be just, you know, you're not going to be anything, and then we wouldn't even know anything about Moses, right? Um, he doesn't do that, right? The Lord does something different there. Um, he takes his excuses and he turns it on his head, right? Um, the Lord said, said to him, who has made man's mouth? He's like, who, who, I made you, Moses. I made you. Do you think I can't use you if I made you, right? Um, and it's interesting here. He says, who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Like all those things that God, the qualities God gives us either to see or not to see, to speak or not to speak, Right? Um, God's the one who did that. Is it not I, the Lord? Um, and then he says right after that, he doesn't let him get away with it. Like we shouldn't get away with disobedience or excuses right in our own life. We shouldn't get away with it. But what does he, what does he say to Moses right after? Now, therefore go, I, the I am, right? Yahweh, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So God says, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to help you. You know, I'm going to give you a task to do, but I'm going to come alongside and give you what you need to accomplish that task, right? And so that's what he's saying to Moses. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. I understand who you are. I made you. I called you. I trained you for 40 years as a a shepherd in in the wilderness. Like, I am here, and now's the time to step up. Now's the time to get ready for battle. We don't need excuses. You have the training you have. You are equipped and so when we think about that this morning, for us, same thing God's saying to us. I've equipped you. I know you. I made you with your weaknesses, with your strengths, right? And I'm going to use each one of you 
for my purposes and for my kingdom. So we talked about before, we need to know the Lord. Well, this is what the Lord does, right? And then we need to know his will in our life. And he's clearly given it here to Moses, right? He commanded him, let's go talk to Pharaoh. Let's go, let's go get this thing started, right? Let's go rustle some feathers here. You know, let's get Pharaoh um, you're a little angry here. You know, let's go start this thing, right? And I'm going to be with you. And you'd think at this point, you'd be like, you know, Moses would be like, you know, like, it's like the whole coach and the thing, right? The coach is tell, riling up the troops to go out there and, and, and play the game and, and, and play hard and everything. And Moses is coming up with excuses, right? He's saying, I can't do this. Um, and the funny thing is, we didn't read these verses, but if you go right before this, in the very first part of, of chapter 4, what did God give Moses? He really gives him three different miracles that he can do. So he, he's already equipped him. Remember the miracles that he gave him? One of them is a staff. He has a shepherd's staff, which is very interesting. A lot of symbolism there. But he takes a staff and he says, throw it to the ground and it, and it comes, turns into a, a serpent. Maybe a cobra, because cobra was a big thing in Egypt at the time. Um, possibly a cobra. So it turns into a, a, a serpent. And it's funny, if you read it, Moses ran away. <laughs> you know, here's God, here's the staff and it turned into a snake. He's like, well, you know, here's God doing this and then I'm just going to run away. And he runs away and it's funny. And then he comes back and Lord says, pick up the tail. He picks it up and then it becomes a staff again. Then the next thing he gives him a pretty crazy thing is like, he's like, open up your cloak, stick your hand in. And what happens? You guys remember? Leprosy. Unclean, right? Here, here, here's, a, here's a good Jewish man and now he's unclean. And he sticks it back in and then he's clean again and the leprosy's gone. I mean, a miracle, right? I mean, if, we, if God equipped you with that and the staff, you'd be in a snake. What, what, I mean, it's his superpowers here, right? He's giving superpowers and all of a sudden he's, he's uh, making excuses. So, and then what was the third thing? He says, go down to the Nile and take water from the Nile and then you can put it on the dry ground and it turns to blood. And we'll talk about what that kind of means too. Three signs, interesting, three signs that he gave him and miracles and, um, and yet Moses is still making excuses, right? So think about this in your own life, like what excuses you make. Um, would we do the same thing as Moses? Would we, would we here in this room, would we go to God, I'm not good enough? I mean, who here thinks they're good enough? You think you could do what Moses did? Not me. I mean, we're not equipped, right? God was equipping Moses. But are you good enough to do what God has called you to do? No. We're not. And so we can make excuses, right? Or we can be honest with God and say, hey, I'm not good enough, Lord, but I will obey nonetheless, right? And you will be with me and you will equip me along the way. And what did God say? I will teach you what you shall speak, right? So this is a constant thing. He's going to teach you along the way. So as God does this, he's going to teach us as, as we go. So you know, Yahweh's response to Moses' excuses is kind of Jobian, right? I don't know if that's a word, but I'm making it up. So from the book of Job, where God responds to Job towards the end of Job. And uh, in verse 11, God says, who made man's mouth, right? He made his mute death. And so he responds to him that way. Then he says, I'll equip you. Um, and then he says, now therefore go, and I shall um, be your mouth and teach you to speak. And uh, so God is calling us to do something, just like he's calling Moses and we need to not make excuses like Moses did. And uh, what are some excuses that we make? 
in our lives. Think about that. What, what, what excuses have you made in the past? Don't have enough time. The time thing is a big one. No, God, man. I see that person over there. I probably should talk to them, but ah, I've got to go somewhere. I've got to do stuff. I've got to schedule. I've got to be at work. I've got to be at school. I've got to be somewhere. I don't have enough time, right? Big excuse, right, in our modern society in, in America here? Not enough time. What are other things? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And a lot of, a lot of truth is God's going to get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished. But he wants to use Brian that day. And Brian said, no, nah, we don't have enough time. Or ah, somebody else will do that. Right? Excuses. What are, what are some other ones? Too difficult. Too difficult. Yep. I mean, this is what Moses was facing, right? I mean, God was giving him a giant task. He was saying, go back to these people who already don't really take you as a leader because you murdered the Egyptian there. Um, you know, and, and so Moses has that in his mind, right, when he's going back. Um, what are some other excuses? Not smart enough, right? I don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge, right? I can't do that. I mean, a lot of times when we don't, we don't speak about the gospel to people around us. We think, I don't know. If they have questions, what am I going to say? You know, how, how am I going to respond to whatever they're saying, right? So we constantly have these excuses just like Moses did. So uh, as, as we're learning this passage, like, you know, um, we can have excuses, but we need to make sure that we turn that around and say yes to the Lord in whatever he's telling us to do, whatever that thing is. And we can go back to one of the great um, people of faith here in Paul. And Paul learned this lesson, right? He learned that he was not enough to accomplish what the Lord set out for him. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul is talking about the same thing that Moses was talking about. Why does God use people who can't speak? He used Moses who said, I can't speak, Lord. He used Paul who mentioned many times he was not a good order. He was not, he was not someone who could speak well. I mean, he could write these amazing letters, right, to the churches, but he, could, he said he couldn't speak, you know. And that's what he's saying here in Corinthians. But in demonstration of the spirit and the power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And there's the answer right there, right? Moses couldn't speak. Don't you think God thought, hey, I'm going to use someone who can't speak to go speak to the greatest power and greatest king in the world. And I'm going to be glorified through it, right? Don't you think God was saying, okay, I'm going to help you do this, and that's going to be another way that it's going to show that it's Yahweh coming with you because here's someone who can't speak, who's not great, and then God's going to use them in power, right? Um, same thing with Paul. I mean, Paul, Paul had, had a lot of good, good things, but speaking wasn't one of them, right? Um, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he had to trust God that God was far more and more, more than enough. And Moses would learn that lesson too. So as we, we see Moses here, he's going to have to learn that lesson that Yahweh is always with his children and always going to be there to, to help. So have you learned that lesson in your life? Have you learned that lesson or are you learning it currently? The lesson that God is enough and that even though we have weaknesses, 
you know, in our lives. And we are not strong in all the areas we need to be strong, but the Lord will come with us and he'll walk with us and he'll teach us, you know, what he, what we need to speak when we need to speak it. I mean, there's a, a passage talking about, you know, and when it's talking about the disciples in the church, you know, going, going in the New Testament, it says that the Holy Spirit will be there when you're in front of governors and he will be the one that speaks through you. So as believers, we need to start thinking that way. As saints, as people call out, as people on this journey with Jesus Christ, we need to have the confidence that God will be with us and he will equip us along the way. He is equipping us for the task. He will equip us for future tasks. And when we have to do the hard thing, God's going to be there with us, just like he was there with Moses. Well, I think, I think there's a difference between, you know, God's calling, maybe, maybe God calling you to a task and maybe a task that you've called yourself to, you know. And maybe if something becomes too difficult, that might be one thing. So you have to discern what is the calling of God also there. But also I say in that is like a lot of times we get into um, it's just me and God. And, and what, what does it even show in this, this passage? It's not just you and God. It's you and others, right? It's you and the community. It's you and the people around you. Hey, it's you, Moses, and I'm going to bring Aaron along. I understand you're not quite ready for this. So here, here, here's, your, here's your brother. He's going to come and he's going to speak for you. So... What kind of lesson is that for us in the church, right? It's like a lot of times we try to accomplish things by ourselves, but a lot of times we need to grab somebody and say, come with me. You know, I can't do this on my own. I need you with me, right? I need you to help me. Maybe it's a friend or it's a mentor or it's a pastor or it's somebody. You, you, you use the church, right? So God, he uses people and people around us also to be that for us, right? To be, to be his answer in a lot of ways, you know? Um, to whatever issue you have, or that you're not enough, but you're enough as the group, the body of Christ, right, as the church. You're enough to do the task. Yeah, Andrew Wunderlich's not enough to do the task by himself, but with the brothers and sisters of Christ around him, he can do what God has called him to do, right? And he can be encouraged in that too. So that's a, that's a good, good question there. So what, what does he do? He, he responds to him in, in our passage and says, I'm going to send Aaron, right? You're not quite ready. I'm going to send somebody with you. I'm going to send Aaron. And, uh, and Aaron's going to speak for you. And, and notice this. We know the story, right? Notice how at the beginning it's Aaron speaking to the Pharaoh. And then all of a sudden, a little bit, it changes over. And now Moses is speaking. Okay? Just, you, you'll see it. You'll see the change. It'll happen. Moses gives his confidence, right? His brother speaking for him. Brother speaking to... Then all of a sudden, it's Moses speaking to Pharaoh. You'll see it when you, you start reading it. So maybe, maybe that can be another lesson, right? We, we get encouragement from our brothers and sisters around us to, to do the job and to speak. Um, so, so God was telling Moses that he, he formed him for a purpose. And God is saying, do you think that I don't know about your perceived weakness? And he says, uh, um, this is precisely... Um, because of those weaknesses that I have decided to use you so that I will get the glory. And we talked about that. So when we look at all these characters in the Bible and we look at ourselves and stuff and we, we see the stories that God has done in our lives or even the characters in, the, in, in, in Scripture, we see that through the weakness of the person, God was the strength and then he got the glory. We see it in the story of Gideon, right? He was the least of the tribe, the least, the least, the least, and he used him with 300 people to destroy um, the enemies of Israel at the time. So that, that's the thing. That's kind of God's calling card. He uses weak people. 
uses people that don't have all the strength in a lot of ways. Not that Moses didn't have other strengths, you know, he just had some weaknesses where God was calling him and he had to do that. So what happens right after this? So Moses ends up obeying. That's the beautiful part about this, right? We can have this conversation with God. We can say, hey, I'm not enough. You know, and I know, I know you're going to fill in the gaps here, either with the church or people around me or family or whatever. But uh, Moses ends up obeying Yahweh in verse 18. And then he goes to Jethro, his father-in-law, and gets his blessing to go on this journey. So he goes and gets the blessing from um, Jethro. And we'll see Jethro in the future and how he kind of uh, plays into Moses' life too um, as, a, as a kind of a spiritual leader in his life in a lot of different ways. So in verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons and he had them ride on a donkey. And interesting. You see this theme in, in scripture, riding on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And so also notice that Moses is going to go lead the people with a shepherd's staff. Not with a rod of authority. Not with um, anything like that, but a shepherd's staff. And that's how God leads us too. And Jesus leads us with a, his staff as the great shepherd. Um, so Moses meets his brother Aaron along the way. And he, he meets him at the mountain of God, which is kind of foreshadowing of where they're going to come back to, Right. So they're going to, they're preparing for battle to go into Egypt to say, let my people go, right? To the Pharaoh, we're about to see that happen here in a little bit. And they go and meet at the mountain of God. And the reason why I mention this stuff is because just, just look at all the symbolism that, are, that is in, 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 in this uh, book. All the symbolism. They go to the mountain of God where they're going to come back to. And Moses, and they gather all the elders of Israel. And Aaron spoke, not Moses. Aaron spoke, and Aaron did the signs. So for the first start, Moses is still the wallflower. I'm, I'm going to be in the background. You've called me to do this, but here Aaron's going to do it. So notice that Aaron spoke to the, to the people, and uh, he did the, uh, the signs. And what happened? What's the result? God had already told him the result. He said, you're going to go to the people of Israel, and you're going to lead them out and they're going to believe you. And I'm already going to tell you that Pharaoh's not going to believe you and he's going to have a hard heart because I'm going to create a hard heart in him. He already, he already said the plan. And so Moses, you know, is now seeing this plan come. And in 31, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Here's another lesson to us, right? When we know the Lord is with us, what should be our response, right? When we know, when they heard that the Lord was with them and they heard of the plan, they bowed their heads and worshiped. I mean, think, think of it, these people, these Israelites who had been in slavery for a long time. Now they're at the precipice of freedom, right? Now they're at the precipice of God coming to save them. Now they have the leaders they need, right? And Moses and Aaron, and they believe, and then they bow their heads and worship. So when we're talking about preparing for battle, these are lessons you can learn when you're preparing for battle too. So when the Lord comes and calls you to do something, know he's with you, right? Know that he's going to prepare you for it beforehand. He's going to give you the things you need when you're going through it. Um, and, and what's our response? It should be the same as Moses, right? 
obedience, right? So Moses, he even had the excuses, right? We have the excuses. I don't think God is necessarily has an issue with us having excuses. He doesn't want us to stay there, right? If we're going to have excuse in our life and we're going to say, well, God, I can't, I can't, I can't. He wants us to say, okay, Lord, but I will, I will obey anyways, right? Um, So when you're preparing for battle, those are the things you need to understand is the obedience part is a big deal. And then they worshiped, right? And I think if, if you're the church today, and it's something we do all the time, we're going to go over right now in a few minutes and go worship. But when we're going to go prepare for battle, there's, there's a, an appropriate thing we need to do before the Lord, right? We need to have that obedient, that obedient heart, and then we need to come before him with worship, right? It sets our mind. It sets everything that shows him he's the one worthy of what's going on here, right? It changes us when we worship God. It gives him the glory, but it changes us, right? So the people worshiped as they're preparing for battle. So in a, in a few minutes here, we're going to just kind of sit and talk about what we learned here and what the Lord has, like, talked to your heart about this morning through his word, but I just want to remind you of a few things here. And I think you probably already know this, but you're not enough. You're never going to be enough for the task at hand, for what God's given you. He's going to prepare you. But you're never going to be enough to accomplish it because it's not about you doing the thing that God has called you to do. It's about the relationship God has with you. He wants to come alongside you and be a part of what you're doing. He wants to equip you. He wants to teach you along the way. He's going to teach you what to say, teach you what to do along the way. And you have to go hand in hand with him and, and walk that path with it. You have to be the one to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go, right? So you're never going to be enough for the task, but the Lord's going to be enough. Yahweh is going to be enough. I am, the great I am, who's been, who is, and is to come. That same one will be with you, and he'll always be enough. He'll be there equipped us. He'll be there with us and he'll prepare us for battle with whatever we have, whatever you're dealing with and whatever he's called you in the future. So what's our response? What do we learn that we need to do as a people when God calls us to do something? What do we do? What's our response? It's pretty simple. There's probably a, a little children's song about it. We need to trust and obey, right? Is there one? Trust and obey? I'm not going to sing it up here, but <laughs> my wife's like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Just remember the trust and obey. Um, and we have all these stories, you know, of people who have trust and obey in the past. David, Paul, Moses. You can name people off. Esther, right? I mean, you can name people who trusted and obeyed God when the thing came. We can see in their lives how he prepared them for the task at hand. And it's your job to trust and obey. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to have a little discussion around your tables about um, what you've learned here. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us, that we have a purpose, Father. Each one of us in this room. You, you knit us in our mother's womb. We were birthed. We were a toddler. 
we're a young child and, and now we're grown men and women who are in this church, Father, and we have a purpose and you have called us to it. We know specifically things we need to be doing. We know that there's things you called each one of us to be light and salt in this world, to be out there on mission for you, to fulfill the great commission among the nations, Father. There's so many different things you've called us globally as a church, but specifically each one of us has a calling from you. And we, we thank you for that calling. We thank you that um, we have a purpose. We have something to do, Father, in your kingdom. We have a role to play. We have gifts that you've given us in the spirit, spiritual gifts you've given each one of us that are different. Each one has a different gift in here. I pray that you would just touch our heart this morning and just realize, have us realize that um, we don't need to make the excuses anymore because we know we're not worthy. We're not worthy of your calling. We're not worthy of what you've called us to do. That's not the point. You want us to be um, your children. We want us to be the saints that you've created us to be, that we can go out there and do the things we need to do for you. And just like Moses, Father, and just like all these others in the Bible, that we can um, just trust and obey. Trust you and obey you um, and walk in faith, Father, the faith that we need. And so give us that faith. A lot of us in this room don't have the faith, Father, to, to uh, trust and obey. We don't have we don't have the first uh, inkling to take that first step, Father, but give us that strength. And as we uh, study Exodus here and this redemption story that you have for us, that we would um, learn from it, Father, and we learn um, that you want to take us from slavery of sin, Father, and, and bring us into the freedom of Jesus Christ and the salvation he has for us. And that good news, Father, that we have, um, we need to be sharing with people around us. And Give us the strength to do that. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.